Mercy and grace. Scriptures about mercy and grace are littered throughout the Bible. And mercy and grace are foundational to Christianity. Not only that we as Christians have received mercy and grace, but also that once we become Christians, we have the opportunity opportunity to extend that mercy and grace to other people in our lives and throughout our lives. Oftentimes we consider the two words, mercy and grace, to be kind of one and the same. However, they both have their own place in Scripture and how it applies to our lives. This morning I'm going to use several familiar Scriptures to most of you guys uh, to illustrate the difference between mercy and grace. And, and as I do that, I want to encourage you to, to try to find how each one of these may apply to you and, and how things that have gone on in your life and the grace and the mercy that not only you receive from the Lord, but the mercy and grace that you have the opportunity to extend to others. Uh, we're going to start in chapter uh, 22 of Genesis. I got a, um, we've, we've got some text up here, and I, I want you guys to be thinking about this as we read it, that mercy is God withholding the punishment that we rightfully deserve. And grace is God not only withholding that punishment, but offering the most precious of gifts instead. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Mercy, God's mercy, withheld the knife from the heart of Isaac. But grace provided the ram in the thicket. Luke chapter 15, a familiar story to to most of you. The story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then he said... A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided it to them, his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, 
bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put on his hand, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and killed it. And let us eat and be merry. For this is my, this my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. You see, mercy runs to forgive the prodigal son. And as you guys know, Jesus shared this parable, and it's a great illustration for us of his willingness to just open his arms at any time, no matter what we've done. This was just a picture of one example of of this son and and what he had done and, and, and how he had wronged not just the father, but the whole family. But his father was willing to give him mercy. And, and in that mercy, he ran to the prodigal son. But it was the grace, it was the grace that threw the party with the best of everything. You see, he, he was going to receive the blessings that he'd not earned. He'd given them away. And I want to read a story to you guys from a book um, that is titled uh, The Captivating Presence of Grace. It's autumn in New York, November 2004, freezing rain, weary drivers, one carload of delinquents on a joyride. Got the picture? Their spree begins at a local cineplex. Bored with action flicks, the teenagers decide to act one out. They break into a car, grab a credit card, and proceed to a video store. There they charge $400 worth of DVDs and video games. Why not pick up a few groceries while they're at it? A surveillance camera catches the kids selecting a 20-pound turkey. Remember that turkey. Pedal to the metal in a silver Nissan, the kids move along in a regular line intersecting with a car containing one woman, Victoria Rivolo. The two cars cross paths at approximately 12.30 a.m. Victoria Rivolo, 44, is heading for her Long Island home. Having attended her 14-year-old niece's vocal recital, she looks forward to home and hearth, particularly hearth. She's ready to unravel the overcoat and scarves, burrow under an electric blanket, and rest her weary self. Maybe the silver Nissan approaching from the east catches Victoria's eye. Maybe not. Later, she would not be sure. She certainly won't recall the image of a teenage boy leaning out of the window of the Nissan as the car approaches nor will she retain any memory of the bulky projectile taking flight from his hands. This is the part about the turkey. The 20-pound bird crashes through Victoria's windshield. It bends the steering wheel inward, smashing into her face, and breaks every bone it encounters. Victoria will remember none of this. Eight hours of surgery and three weeks in the recovery center. Later, however, friends and family will fill in the blanks. Victoria lies impassively in a bed in Stony Brook University Hospital and listens to every detail. Yet her emotions are difficult to discern, given the mask her face has become. Shattered like pottery, now stapled together by titanium plates. An eye affixed to synthetic film. A wired jaw, a tracheotomy. Internet bloggers and TV pundits suggest what they'd do if they could be in the room for five minutes with these punks in that Nissan. They'd especially love to lay hands on Ryan Cushing, the 18-year-old who heaved the turkey. His face should be shattered. His life should be in ruins. That's how the man on the street sees it. 
But it's all in the hands of the justice system now. On Monday, August 15, 2005, Ryan and Victoria meet face to reconstructed face in the courtroom for the first time. Nine agonizing titanium-bolted months have passed since the attack. Victoria manages to walk into the courtroom unaided, a victory in itself. A trembling Ryan Cushing pleads guilty to a lesser charge. Sentence, six months behind bars, five years probation, a bit of counseling, and a dash of public service. People shake their heads with righteous indignation. Is that all the punishment that we can dish out? When did this country become so soft on crime? Let's lock up all these criminals and throw away the key. Who is responsible for this plea bargain anyway? The victim, that's who. The victim requests leniency. Ryan makes his plea and then returns to Victoria Rivolo. All the essence of the tough guy long since drained away. He is weeping with abandon. The attorney leads the assailant to the victim, and Victoria holds him tight, comforts him, strokes his hair, and offers reassuring words. I forgive you, she whispers. I want your life to be the best it can be. Tears mingled from her masked face of reconstruction to his face, which was a mask of remorse. Victoria Ravolo, you see, she had mercy for this young man, and she asked for leniency. That was her piece of mercy. But it was the grace that Victoria Ravolo had that took Ryan Cushing in his arms and whispered to him, I want your life to be the best that it can be. Another familiar passage from the Bible is uh, Luke chapter 23. And it's the story of the thief on the cross. Verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God? See, you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And so again, mercy. Mercy hears the, the, the cry of the thief on the cross. But it's grace that promises paradise that very day. Mercy pays the penalty for our sins on the cross. Grace substitutes the righteousness of Christ for our wickedness. Paul, on the road to Damascus, got to experience both of these things in a totally different way. Acts 22, verse 6, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon... Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered and said, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. You see, the Lord knew all too well that Paul had been persecuting. 
Jesus and the followers of Jesus. In fact, he was there the day that Stephen became the first martyr. He was the one that was holding the coats as they stoned him. And so, you know, the Lord had every opportunity to just strike him down on that road to Damascus. But instead, his mercy, he, he chose to convert Paul and to show Paul what Christianity was all about, what a relationship with Jesus was all about. And in fact, then the grace comes in. The grace was is that he called him to be one of the apostles. He's, his stories, his letters um, have been handed down from century to century. And we've had the privilege of, of seeing that grace unfold in Paul's life. Mercy withholds what we have earned. And grace provides blessings that we have not earned. And I don't know how these stories, these different stories apply to you. Are you like Abraham being asked to make a sacrifice of something that's in your life? Is there something that the Lord's been calling you to let go of and you've been reluctant? In order to embrace all that the Lord has for you, we have to let go of those things. Sometimes we have to make sacrifices. Are you like the man in Luke 15 who's the prodigal son? Maybe you've wrong people in your life that um, that you need to go back to and humble yourselves. Or maybe you're like Victoria Ravolo and you've had somebody wrong you, not necessarily in a physical way, maybe it's an emotional way. Maybe somebody's hurt you, they've said something, they've talked about you, they've they've put you down, whatever the case may be. Maybe this is your opportunity to to extend mercy to somebody else and also giving them grace. And it'll speak volumes to those people that in your life that you need to get right with. Maybe you're like the thief on the cross. You've come to the realization that you're in desperate need of a Savior. It's time that you make a decision. And you have the opportunity to do that today as the Lord has provided a way for you. Another story that I'm going to read, and we're going to actually watch a a video clip here in a minute, is about a man named John Newton. John Newton was born in London, July 24, 1725, the son of a commander of a merchant ship which sailed the Mediterranean. When John was 11, he went to sea with his father and made six voyages with him before the elder Newton retired. In 1744, John was impressed into service on a ship the HMS Harwich. Finding conditions on board intolerable, he deserted but was soon recaptured and publicly flogged and demoted from midshipman to common seaman. Finally, at his own request, he was exchanged into service on a slave ship which took him to the coast of Sierra Leone. He then became a servant of a slave trader and was brutally abused. Early in 1748, he was rescued by a sea captain who had known John's father. John Newton ultimately became the captain of his own ship, one which supplied the slave trade. Although he had had some early religious instruction from his mother, who had died when he was a child, he had long since given up any religious convictions. However, on a homeward voyage, while he was attempting to steer a ship of his through a violent storm, he experienced what he would refer to later as his great deliverance. He recorded in his journal that what he recorded in his journal that when all seemed lost and the ship would surely sink he exclaimed lord have mercy upon us his life was spared that night 
As the ship sailed home on calm seas, Newton began to read the Bible. By the time he reached Britain, he had accepted the doctrines of Christianity. And just to give you a little lead up to this clip, it's um, from a movie called Amazing Grace, and it was about John Newton. And he is going to uh, talk about some of the, you're going to see some of the remorse that he had over his actions um, of bringing those, those slaves. The truth seems very clear. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. You must not wish it. Blow a hole in that boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts, they all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts. Noisy. We were apes. They were human. The date of that fateful storm was March 10th, 1748, an anniversary that John had marked for the rest of his life, the day of his conversion, a day of humiliation in which he subjected his will to a higher power. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. John Newton penned the words of one of the greatest songs in history, Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote those words because he knew them. He had experienced them. One of the things that I see in the story of John Newton was is that when the huge storm arose and he was in his time of need, what did he do? Yeah, he called out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord And he asked him for mercy and grace. But the thing that I want you guys to see is is that for the rest of the sea voyage, what did he do? He went back and he read his Bible. See, John, he needed to grow his faith. He wasn't really quite ready to give everything to the Lord. And the same is true for each of us. In our own way, we have to find um, our peace with God. We have to try to wrap our ideas our minds around the idea that he is the savior of the world. The most quoted scripture in the Bible, John 3:16, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And believing in the Lord is foundational, it's huge. It's it is the key to salvation. And I don't know where you guys are at in your relationship with the Lord today, but uh belief is it. We need to put our faith and our trust in the Lord. And I'm always reminded of, a, of the story 
in um, Mark, Jesus and uh, a couple of the disciples had come down for the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, and they'd come down, and there was there was a man there, and he was with his son, and the the son was uh, possessed by demons, and and the disciples had been trying to to take the the uh, the demon out, you know, to remove him, and, and they couldn't do it, and and so when Jesus came down, the father said to him, you know. Can you have mercy on my son and, and remove this demon? And Jesus said to him in uh, chapter 9, verse 23, If you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I love that scripture because the, this this father was in such deep need, but he was also being so honest because he could have said a lot of other things. He could have, he could have pretended like, I, I buy the whole thing. But he was honest and he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus, uh, he appreciated that and he did. He did heal his son. Um, but John Newton gave us the great words of the, of the song, Amazing Grace. And I'm going to have Stuart come forward, and he's going to play the song. And I want you guys to be thinking about not only how does this song apply to you. I mean, how grateful we are of the amazing grace that Jesus has offered up to all of us. But what are the things in in your life, what are the areas that you need to begin to extend that grace to others? Shining 